we know the recruitment season is long and it's always challenging, but the hardest part is behind you. You now just have to submit your rankings in order of your true preference and know that you'll get the best possible result that is available to you. Hi, I'm Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. We focus on all topics related to postgraduate training. From current events to testimonials and advice related to postgraduate training, we bring you, the listener, updated content. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel below. With March 5th, the last day to submit rank order lists for Phase 1, being five days away from when this episode airs, and with results of the match being released on March 19th, today's episode is aptly focused on the match as it pertains to pharmacy residency candidates. Our guest today is Jonah Perenson, Vice President at National Matching Services Incorporated. Jonah, it's great to have you on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here. When we were doing our research for this episode, we saw that National Matching Services was founded in 1985 by Elliot Perenson, and the algorithm used to execute the match, which we'll talk about in a little bit of detail later, is also named the roth Perenson algorithm after what we believe based on what we found to be a collaboration between Alvin Roth and Elliot Parenson. So since you share the same name, Parenson, and we just we just had to ask, we were wondering if you have any interesting insight into the history of the algorithm. Sure. The story of the algorithm starts back probably in the early 1970s. The organization that was running a match for medical internships was running into problems keeping up with the growing size of the match and incorporating new requirements like matching couples. So they hired Elliot Parenson, who is the founder and president of National Matching Services, to develop software and computerize the matching process. About 10 years before that, two mathematicians named David Gale and Lloyd Shapley wrote a paper called College Admissions and the Stability of Marriage. That paper was about two-sided matching problems. These are problems where people not only have to choose what they want, but they also have to be chosen. So you can't just choose who you will marry or what school you want to go to. You also have to be chosen by the other side. That paper outlined an algorithm for solving two-sided matching problems. The algorithm, now known as the Gale-Shapley algorithm, or the Deferred Acceptance Algorithm, was ideal for solving two-sided matching problems for two reasons. First, the algorithm was strategy-proof, which means each person will get the best result by stating their true preferences. You don't get an advantage by lying or try to game the system. Second, the algorithm generates a stable result. That means that everyone gets the best result that is available to them. The algorithm produces a result where there's no program and applicant that would rather match to each other than to accept the result of where they match. So Elliot was an engineer and didn't know about Gale and Shapley at the time. This was pre-internet, remember? So he worked out a logical algorithm for processing the medical match. And several years later, 
Gail connected with Elliot, and they concluded that the algorithm being used for the medical match was essentially the same as the deferred acceptance algorithm that he and Shapley had proposed, except that the medical match incorporated other features that Gail and Shapley never considered, like couples matching. Elliot went on to found National Matching Services in 1985 to continue to support the medical match and provide matching services to other professions. And over the years, the algorithm was adapted to meet new needs of match participants like the ability to match applicants into multiple sequential positions and allowing organizations to revert or move unfilled positions between programs as a contingency option, and even enabling programs to match with only an even or odd number of applicants. Today, National Matching Services administers matching programs in many professions, including dentistry, psychology, optometry, medicine, and of course, pharmacy. The first pharmacy match administered by NMS was in 1994. And around that time, a controversy arose regarding the algorithm used in the medical match. A paper was written that outlined some rankings and examples that showed in some cases, the algorithm would generate results that significantly favored programs to the detriment of applicants. And while the specific cases were valid, no one really had any idea how pervasive or impactful these theoretical scenarios were in the real world. So... The medical match decided to undertake a full study of the issue with the objective of redesigning the algorithm if necessary. And they hired Alvin Roth to lead the study. Al is a professor of economics at Stanford. He's a fascinating guy and one of the founders of a field of economics called market design. Market design is the study of how markets work or or don't work and how to organize and structure them to be more effective and efficient. So Al and Elliot worked on the study together. Al provided the theoretical basis and designed some of the experiments they would pursue. And Elliot provided insight into the real world matching problems and you know, programmed these experiments. And their, their work culminated in two big conclusions. First, they decided to change the algorithm for the medical match from a hospital proposing algorithm to an applicant proposing algorithm. A hospital proposing algorithm is how most people think job markets work. A hospital or firm offers you a job and you either accept it or reject it. An applicant proposing algorithm looks at it from the opposite perspective. The applicant is the one that is offering their services to firms and the firms either accept or reject the applicant. This new applicant proposing algorithm was called the Roth Parenting Algorithm. It was adopted by the medical match and is used in all the matches that we at NMS administer, and many others around the world. The second conclusion that came out of their work was that changing to this applicant proposing algorithm didn't change the outcome of the match in any substantial way. While an applicant proposing algorithm theoretically ensures optimal results for applicants, in real life matching markets, the change from a hospital proposing algorithm to the Roth parenting algorithm affected less than one in a thousand matches. And with couples and reversions and everything, it wasn't always clear that the effective applicants were always better off. So in the end, the controversy was really a theoretical argument, not a practical one. In uh, 2012, Al won the Nobel Prize in Economics for his work in matching, in particular for the work he did on the medical match with Elliot, as well as his amazing contributions designing kidney exchange markets and systems to match kids to elementary and high school. And at National Matching Services, we've continued to enhance the algorithm. For example, we now provide options for programs to limit the number of matches by school and give programs tools to define desired class composition. 
so they can match with an appropriate mix of applicants with different characteristics. So, I mean, this long history is really just a way to say that the history is still being written. The algorithm is grounded by Gale and Shapley's theory, but it's been adapted and will continue to evolve to meet the real world needs of applicants and programs. Oh, that was an incredible history lesson. That was uh, really insightful. I appreciate you sharing that with us. So just kind of getting into some of the key characteristics of the match. At this point, our current pharmacy residency candidates will have already registered for the ASHP National Matching Service, and they're likely wrapping up their interview process. So what do you see as the benefits of the match process you've described over the conventional job application process? The reason matches get put in place is because someone or some group in the profession wants to make the recruitment process fair and more efficient for applicants. As stressful as the match process can be, the alternative of an unstructured conventional job market is usually much worse. In an unstructured market, every program sets their own timeline and rules. Imagine you were an applicant considering two programs in an unstructured market. One program, your second choice, recruits in January. The other program, your first choice, recruits in April. In this case, you might apply, interview, and get a job offer from your second choice before you've even had a chance to apply to your first choice. Uh, There are some recruitment markets where they have exploding offers. That means you get a phone call with an offer and you have to decide on the phone, on the spot, whether to accept it or reject it. If you accept, you can't take another job, which you may want more. If you reject the offer, you give up the spot without knowing if another offer is ever coming. Some markets have tried to address this by standardizing offer dates or requiring some kind of grace period where applicants consider their offers before making a decision. But without the discipline enforced by a formal matching program, these rules usually fall apart. The match prevents these inefficiencies that are related to timing. It allows applicants to consider all of their opportunities before having to decide which place would be best for them. It's designed so you simply list your choices in order of your true preference and you're guaranteed to get the best result possible. The structure and rules of the match also create a level playing field for everyone. So there's no gaming, there's no manipulation, no special treatment. There is some research that shows that compared to a conventional process, a match shortens the overall time span of the recruitment process, reduces instances of unethical conduct, and leads to programs considering a broader set of applicants. Describing how the normal job market works brought back all these nightmares of when, when I was like, please don't offer me a job. I still haven't interviewed at this last place yet. I, I want to interview there first. And are they going to offer me a job in time for me to consider both of them? Yeah, it makes so much sense that having it all at the same timeline makes it way better for these candidates. I was definitely remembering that same process. And I I really appreciated the structure of the match uh, compared to when I was searching for jobs after. So Jonah, applicants and participants can actually go online and see how the process of the match unfolds with both a video and interactive demonstration. And we'll include the link to that in our description below. But could you just give us a succinct explanation of how the match process and algorithm works? Sure. Let me preface this by saying the algorithm is not a secret. As you mentioned, there's lots of information and FAQs on the website that explain how it works. And it's not driven by big data or AI or anything like that. It's a logical algorithm that simply automates the offer and acceptance process based on the instructions you provide in your rank order list. The algorithm starts by looking at the first rank of an applicant's rank order list and sees if it can tentatively place that applicant into the program. 
The applicant can be tentatively placed if the program has an unfilled position or if the program prefers that applicant to a person that is currently holding a spot at the program. If the applicant cannot get into the program, the algorithm moves on to the next rank on the applicant's list, and so on. If placing an applicant into a program requires that a less preferred applicant gets bumped out of the program, the algorithm goes back to the bumped applicant and tries to match them, starting from the top of their list. The algorithm will go through this process iteratively for all applicants until each applicant is either tentatively matched to a position or there are no more ranks on the applicant's list to consider. If we had all the applicant and program rank order lists for the pharmacy match here, the three of us could sit down and process the match by hand. It just happens that it's much faster and more accurate to do it with a computer. The most important thing to understand is that the algorithm will match you to the most preferred program on your rank order list that ranks you and does not fill all its positions with applicants the program prefers. How many times do you all have to uh, rerun that just to see like if the results are the same or the results are different? Do you do like a secondary analysis or a secondary match run just to see, uh, to make sure there's no bugs in that first run through? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We do checking both before the match and after the match. Before the match, we uh, look at the rankings that were submitted by applicants and programs, and we frankly check to see if there are mistakes. We can identify most but not all cases where an applicant might have ranked the wrong track at a program or the program might have ranked an applicant uh, that has a similar name to the applicant that they really wanted to rank. So we check for those mistakes and we contact applicants and programs to correct them. And then once we run the match, we do another set of checks to make sure that everyone gets the best possible result. And the idea of uh, that I mentioned of a stable match means that each applicant and program will prefer the match that they have to any other that they could have possibly had. So there are some very simple checks that we can do to make sure that everyone gets the best possible result. And we do look for that, but you know, it always is the best possible result. The algorithm works. So this is a two-pronged question related to the topic of rank order list. So imagine you have an applicant who has finished interviews, had the time to think through all the pros and cons of each program, and has essentially ranked the programs in order of most to least desirable. This applicant is somewhat apprehensive though with a few of their top choices because they felt the program did not respond as positively towards them as they did to that program, possibly during interviews. So what considerations should this applicant be thinking of when finalizing and submitting their list through the National Matching Service with ASHP? Should they consider how a program may rank them and then vice versa, if the program was in a similar scenario, what considerations should they have? The only consideration should be ordering your choices according to your true preferences, from most desirable to least desirable. That is the only strategy that will get you the best result. It's true for both applicants and programs. Using any other strategy may cause you to get a worse result. The algorithm is designed so that the order of your choices determines where you will match, not whether or not you will match. Let's take your example where an applicant is going to rank two programs. Wonderland Hospital is ranked number one because it's the program you want most. Standard Hospital ranked number two. Now assume that Wonderland doesn't appear to be very interested in you. If Wonderland is truly your top choice, you should absolutely leave them at the top of your list. The algorithm will try to match you to Wonderland without penalizing you and without reducing your chances of being matched to Standard Hospital if you can't match to Wonderland. If you're not able to match to Wonderland, your ability to match the standard depends 
only on how standard ranks you compare to other applicants. It does not depend on the rank number that you or any other applicant has assigned to standard. Let's play devil's advocate here. If you choose to rank standard hospital first because they seem more interested in you, then the algorithm will try to match you to standard. If you can get in, you will be matched to standard instead of Wonderland, even though Wonderland was really where you wanted to go. Changing the order of your rankings based on how you perceive a program or an applicant has ranked you is a serious mistake that can negatively affect your outcome in the match. So essentially, I think you've said this multiple times, but applicants and programs should just rank their preferences in order. And given the match as a binding contract, if they absolutely do not want to go to a program or absolutely do not want a candidate, they should just not rank that program or applicant if they find them unacceptable. That's right. Rank all programs where you apply that you find acceptable. Rank them according to your true preferences from most desirable to least desirable. And don't rank any program that you would not want to match to under any circumstances. So we're going to break from the match for a moment and move to what is quickly becoming one of my favorite parts of this podcast, the PGP trivia. And I know Sean is really excited about his trivia question. He's been talking about it all day and <laughs> all week, actually. So I'll let him go first. I am excited. I am very excited about this question, <laughs> as sad as that is. All right, so here's the background. So Henry VIII, who ruled England from 1509 <laughs> to 1547, is best known for his six marriages and investing heavily in the Navy, earning him the title of Father of the Royal Navy. Henry's also known for some other interesting behavior, and this leads me to my question, what thing did Henry VIII create a tax for in 1535? Was it having a beard, fishing for cod in the Thames, bear baiting, which was a sport back then, and having a self-portrait made, which I refer to as a slow selfie? <laughs> um, let's go with the slow selfie. Uh, I like that answer, but I think I'm going to have to go with having a beard since I also have one and hopefully do not would not have to pay taxes on it. <laughs> well, Taylor's right. It is, it is the beard tax. I was trying, I thought I could get you with at least one of those uh, distractors. I also have a beard. I don't want that tax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And believe it or not, this is not the only time in history at which somebody has put a beard tax in there. Uh, so I think it's happened like three or four times across the ages, one being in Russia. So, yeah. I can't believe I got one right. <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't, I can't believe it either. I even put it as A because I thought he won't, yeah. he'll think there's no way he would put the answer as the first choice. <laughs> Reverse psychology. A little multiple choice right. strategy. There you go. All right, it's your turn. All right. So I actually came up with this question since NMS headquarters is based in Toronto, Canada. So I had to come up with a trivia question related to hockey. Um, so where was the first organized hockey game in history played? Was it A, Toronto, B, Montreal, C, Vancouver, or D, Calgary? Oof. Actually, I'm going to feel bad if I get this wrong, but I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go, uh, I'll go with my, my home city here, Toronto. I don't know why I'm leaning towards this because I have I don't know anything about Canada other than some geography. The I say Vancouver. I'm feeling good about Vancouver. All right. Well, so according to the International Ice Hockey Federation, the first organized hockey game was played 
at Victoria Skating Rink on March 3rd, 1875 in Montreal. Wow. So, Montreal was where the first organized hockey game was played. It was actually played with a wooden puck at the time. So I was hockey thinking about saying Montreal, but if it ended up being Toronto. I feel like I would hear that from people. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it was it even played on ice or are you gonna tell us it was like played on a grass field or something like that i think it was played on ice okay all right good it is the ice hockey right. federation it is the ice hockey. <laughs> all right all right back to the topic at hand the match in pharmacy we now implement a two-phase match system where if you don't match in phase one you can participate in a second phase two match from your perspective jonah at the National Matching Services, are there any differences in these two phases? And when I say National Matching Services, specifically the ASHP match, is there differences in these two phases? And if so, what considerations do you do candidates or applicants need to be mindful of with phase two? Phase one and phase two are essentially the same. You have to apply to programs, interview, and submit a rank order list. The key difference is that the time frame for phase two is very compressed. The period from when applications open from phase two until the rank order list deadline is only about two weeks. So applicants in phase two should be ready to move very quickly through the process. So one of the things that we appreciate about the National Matching Service through ASHP is that you all publish your data online right after it's available. So we're able to kind of get online, analyze it in real time, and we use the data to kind of teach our students. But from what you've observed, what data-driven trends kind of stand out over the last few years, specifically with the pharmacy match? The biggest trend in the ASHP match for the last several years has been growth. The number of applicants, programs, and positions have all grown steadily, especially PGY2 applicants and positions. I think this probably reflects a, a trend for growing opportunities and demand for pharmacists with advanced training. We've also seen some increases in the average number of rankings submitted by applicants and programs. But one thing that's been fairly constant is that on average, applicants who match rank nearly twice as many programs as applicants who do not match. So applicants who have a significant other participating in the match may be apprehensive of how they rank programs. And I know you kind of alluded to this earlier, but do you all have any special programs for couples? And how does it work in relation to the single mac applicant match? So two applicants can participate in the match of a couple. And typically people do this so that they and their partner can match to places that are geographically close to each other. Couples participate in the same match as individuals. It's not a separate program or match. However, the way that couples submit their choices of programs to the match is somewhat different than the way it works for individual applicants. So people who participate in the match as a couple link their rank order list choices together to form pairs of program choices. The paired program choices are processed by the algorithm in sequence, and the couple is matched to the most preferred pair of programs to which both partners can match. For an applicant that is part of a couple, the probability of matching to a specific program pair depends not only on the applicant's ability to match to their program in the pair, but also on their partner's ability to match in the corresponding pair program. As a result, couples typically have much longer rank order lists than individual applicants because the couple should be listing all possible pairs of programs on their rank order list. The match website has a lot of information for couples to help them prepare their rankings 
including a tool to help couples create all the possible program pairs that they should consider ranking. So if I, if I'm understanding this correctly, if it can't match a pair, it will not match just a single applicant? Well, no. So the way the couples match works, it goes through each pair. But one of the options that couples have is that they have a no match ranking where basically one of the partners can say, one of my choices is that my partner is going to try to match to their program, let's say program A, and I'm going to be willing to be unmatched in that circumstance. So usually the couples will list their pairs of programs. And at the end of their list, they'll say, okay, if we can't get any of these programs where we're both matched, then we'll start with, you know, say my partner will have an option to match to their first choice and I'll go unmatched. And then their second choice, and then I'll go unmatched. Or, you know, they could also do it. My partner tries their first choice and I'll go unmatched. And then I'll try my first choice and then he'll go unmatched. So they do have an option of basically saying, if we can't both get into a program, we'll go through choices where only one of us will match. That's amazing how intricate that is, that, that you can specify it to that level. Yeah, so, I can't even wrap my head around what's going on mathematically in the background <laughs> for it to be able to do that. Well, remember, it's not, it's not math, right? It's not like your, you know, your first choice compared to your 10th choice doesn't, the number doesn't have any meaning. It's just the order of your choices. The algorithm starts at the top of your list and tries to keep matching you in order, but it doesn't look at, there's no weighting. The number doesn't have any specific meaning except that it, you know, defines the order. So what, what are reasons for an applicant not becoming matched? And will applicants know if they were ranked versus unranked by programs? And we ask this because this sometimes comes up with students. Now, all rankings are confidential. Applicants don't see program rankings and programs don't see applicant rankings. That's one of the reasons it's safe for everyone to list their choices in order of their true preference. The only reasons an applicant won't match to a program is because the program did not rank the applicant or the program filled all its positions with applicants the program preferred. If this applies to every program on an applicant's list, the applicant will remain unmatched. So in our final moments, Jonah, do you have a key takeaway relating to the match or rank order list? We know the recruitment season is long and it's always challenging, but the hardest part is behind you. You now just have to submit your rankings in order of your true preference and know that you'll get the best possible result that is available to you. Well, excellent. Jonah, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure having you as a guest on the Postgraduate Pharmacist today. Thanks, guys. This was fun. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe to our channel. Our next episode will be on phase two of the match and what to do if you do not match on March 19th. Remember, you can listen to us on all major podcasting apps, and don't forget to check out the links in the description below if you want more information on the match process or answers to frequently asked questions.